This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS all in one platform. They have built-in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today. You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Sertakowski, founder and CEO at Avex, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Welcome to the Agency X Podcast. Today we are talking about e-commerce predictions for 2021. Uh, 2020 was a pretty crazy year all around and e-commerce saw some pretty insane growth. Uh, So I'm joined by David, our e-commerce strategist as usual. Uh, And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we see trending for next year. which I, I'm sure everyone's excited about, especially after the holiday rush. Um, we're likely going to see some changes as well as some growth, uh, but we're going to go through a few of those things today. And uh, and maybe next year we'll see if we were right. <laughs> I can guarantee you we were wrong about our predictions for 2020 uh, last time we did something like this, but I, I expect everyone was probably wrong. No one... I can't think anyone imagined, uh, aside from a very short list of people, knew that there was going to be a global pandemic throughout the world. No, not at that time. And uh, (laughs) I'm sure a couple of our predictions were right, but I would say that that no one could have predicted what was going to go on in the growth. So um, yeah, let's, uh, let's see. So first of all, I think the first thing that we should talk about is just overall e-commerce adoption and um, new e-commerce purchasers, um, buyers, and even merchants. Well, let's talk about the new customers first, right? So I think, and this is something that a a lot of others are talking about, and and, and I know Shopify put out some some big numbers when it came to uh, their Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, results being 75% higher than last year, which totally makes a lot of sense given that each year there's some dramatic growth anyway. Uh, but with this year, with a lot of stores and malls closed or some people not wanting to uh, go out and get into a crowded mall, uh, they're more likely to shop online. So there's definitely been some huge growth there as far as just overall um, new customers who maybe didn't purchase as much or ever at all on e-commerce, and now they are. Um, some customers who might be older and didn't purchase on e-commerce in the past, they're, they're, they're now trying it out. And we, we definitely see some dramatic growth. I think that we're talking about the expected growth that was supposed to happen over the next few years or five, 10 years happened in one year, which is absolutely insane. So I think the the big question is, is how many of those people are going to continue to shop online next year? Um, you know, even as stores start to open up uh, in the middle or end of next year, uh, are, are they still going to be e-commerce customers? 
uh, across the board. And this goes for, you know, whether merchants are direct to consumer or Amazon, will these, will these customers continue to shop online? And I think the answer is yes, maybe not all of them, but um, if you were a customer who liked going into store, like trying things on and you were a little hesitant to order online or you didn't order as many things online, if you had a great experience um, with a direct or consumer brand now, uh, you might be like, well, hey, I could order things online, quick returns, you know, try things on, et cetera. And, it, and it's not as bad as I thought. Um, I think there are going to be lo- some long-term customers there. Uh, what I think is important is how these brands treat those new customers. And, it, and that's something we should talk about today too, is, is you know, how do you retain those, those new customers that came in this year and make them long-term loyal customers? Uh, curious about your thoughts on that, David, as far as what you think is going to continue to trend in 2021 for some of these new uh, customers. Yeah, that's that's the real challenge, isn't it, of actually retaining them and keeping them coming back? Because with 2020, uh, a ton of brands, both huge and really small, that as a result of the pandemic became huge. And I don't and I definitely think we should touch on that, too is, uh, how, you know, mainly they were focusing on handling the inflow of new customers, new traffic. Um, and that comes with it, not only challenges of manpower to, you know, simply fulfill these orders, especially which might be complicated because, uh, you know, a lot of brands had uh, merchandising and supply issues in the beginning. I think it's kind of stable or level off since now. Yeah. But you also have a ton of new customers who might be unfamiliar with your brand, might be unfamiliar with your product. Uh, you're getting a lot more people that you're really not anticipating. And that can be a good problem, but it still can be a problem because if, you know, bad first impression, those users aren't coming back. And I think in 2021, Um, we're probably going to start to see that level off uh, where the adoption rate of e-commerce is still going to get higher. It's all, it was always going to get higher. Just the pandemic accelerated the growth of everything. I think we'll start to see that. We'll start to see that level off a bit. And so the real challenge is going to be actually retaining these customers through these various channels or funnels, whether through email and social, how, you know, what, the main way is that uh, returning customers tend to engage with the brand besides the site. But I think another challenge, and it comes from something you talked about, where it's people who are older, um, you know, com- being more involved in e-commerce and the challenge is there, which ties into customer experience. And this is going basically, this is going based pure on, um, it's a little bit of stereotyping, a little bit of truth, but how older people usually less laid back than I would say people who are younger in the 20s and 35s. If someone who is 25 buys something and an order is not going to arrive, uh, maybe it's late by like two days, a person who's 25 to 35, they'll probably be a little bit more forgiving or laid back than a person who is older, maybe in their late 40s, early 50s. Again, it's not everybody. I'm just going based purely on the data and by data i mean a lot of youtube videos of (laughs) of people complaining and freaking out um the freak out subreddit's a very popular one for getting your blood boiling but um that does have actually a big challenge on customer experience because you may be a brand and sure maybe if you're a brand that mostly serves people who are younger you're the type of product you sell 
may not deviate, may not be may not attract people who are older. Uh, but um, and just using an example that I could see someone older using or be agnostic of is Athletic Green. I, I feel like their product, I'm sure it does initially target a younger you know demographic, but I'm sure people who are you know older probably use it too. And by older, John, I mean like you know mid to late forties, not early forties, but. Uh, That's not that much older. (laughs) Well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I I think overall it's about um, how well merchants are focusing on their customer experience, regardless of the age. And and, and even more importantly for the the older, older, an older generation, you know, people who are in their forties and even early fifties there, they grew up with the internet, you know, they, they likely order online a lot. You know, when you start to get a little bit older from there, you know, maybe they're not ordering online as much. Like my, my mother's 75 and she orders online sometimes, but now that she's been ordering online regularly, she's not asking me a million questions about, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Like they're getting a lot more accustomed to it and trusting it a lot more. So I think it's, it's a matter of making sure that your brand is providing a, an amazing customer experience because you have new customers and you have a new demographic that you need to be able to retain. And they're, they're going to be, like you said, a little bit more cautious and a little less forgiving. Um, so you need to make sure that you're doubling down on that customer experience, whether that's with returns um, or if that's with communication or chat, using things like Gorgeous for customer uh, service or Returnly for uh, returns, just making it as simple as possible um, and just making sure that, that they trust your brand uh, because it could be a, a really new for a lot of them. So, and, and that also goes for possibly changing communications up, you know, segmenting those customers. I think there's a lot of opportunity for being able to segment a lot of these new customers uh, and personalize those messages so that you can remarket to them in 2021 and you can retain them and turn them into brand loyalists. Yeah. And you, and you really do need to, especially again, if, if you're a brand and you before we're getting $10,000 a month uh, from orders and now you're getting $100,000 a month, regardless if your customers are older or younger, you're really going to want to streamline things to take a lot of ease off of that impacted customer service. Like you're going to want to make it really easy for people to understand, you know, how they can get their products, um, you know, where, uh, how long things take, uh, what the return policies are, if there is one, um, even making the return policy itself pretty easily if you're using something like Returnly, which helps automate that even having like any information I'll, I'll give one example I, I won't say the brand but I'll allude to it is it's organic natural like show brand soap brand that's on Shopify plus and one question I really had was internally before even buying it was okay how long does uh you know each bar of soap um you know this is like you know soap you use in the shower how long does it last and I. Uh, it had, they have like a, I forget what the name of the program they were using, but it was, it wasn't gorgeous. Although they are using gorgeous only in certain pages, but on product pages, they have a separate pop-up. That's more of an FAQ where I looked Mm -hmm. up, you know, uh, how long, you know, how long I think was just the two words. And it was like, Oh, how long, you know, how many uses can you get out of the soap? And it was, you know, one bar of soap can go for one to two months, depending on, you know, uh, various things, which is important because if I didn't find out that information, I I probably would have like, emailed them or use their chat i uh, you're yeah. gonna want to you're gonna want to try to predict you should anyway you should really try to predict what customers are most likely going to ask about your product 
and either have a really small mini FAQ section on the PDP in like the details area or below the fold, have, you know, something sticky that has that information or, you know, of course, just put on your general FAQ prior to contact. And if you really want to get a little more nuanced with it, you could put a call to action to your FAQ in your contact page to let users know, hey, if you have a question about like shipping time or or order estimates or product use, uh, you know, consider seeing our FAQ first. Uh, and then it's if they can't find that information, they'll then contact you. But I think customer service is a huge thing because that's a huge time sink. It's it's probably the next step. Like as an initial as an initial newer brand, and I think this might be a good segue into how it's affected the merchant side is if you're a really new brand and you're not doing a lot of revenue, you don't have a lot of orders, customer service is going to be a, um, you know, a few and far between activity where you might get a couple messages every now and again, but you can really respond to them uh, quite leisurely. And uh, you're generally getting a lot of customers who might be a little more engaged in the onset. But there's a ton of brands that you know you and I, John, have talked to and, and even worked with that before the pandemic they were you know uh, doing like uh, they were doing like five five figures uh, a month. Now they're doing like you know six to even seven a month, and that comes you know beyond the initial load of orders that have to be fulfilled from the supplying side, from the customer service side. That also increases the chance of that, but. Uh, yeah, John, I wanted to get your, like, your thoughts on, um, you know, a lot of these like brands that have just had so much explosive growth, they've almost not been sure what to even do with it and what and what that might say for the the space in general. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's a good problem to have, not to be cliche, but, you know, it, it does kind of hurt customer experience if you're not able to fulfill those orders. And I've been seeing this a lot with either brands that were doing great before or uh, just started this year, you know, they're having some issues with supply chain. They're having some issues with shipping. And, you know, I think in general, a lot of the three PLs or a lot of like USPS and UPS and FedEx can't keep up with the demand. And sometimes that's out of the merchant's control. Um, but you have to do your best to provide the, the best possible customer experience. I, th I do think that as this demand continues to increase there, of course, there might be a lull as stores start to open up, but like you said, you know, this was going to happen. It just happened at an accelerated pace. Um, and, you know, with, with our merchants that face some supply chain issues there, they've overcome them. Um, and I, I think that's an opportunity to be able to test your customer experience or customer service. Like how well are you communicating that to your, your, um, customer base? How well are you uh, fulfilling their needs? We're, we're seeing a lot of things like delayed shipping time and products that are sold out. But I think is, is the more you provide a great customer experience, uh, the more forgiving those customers are going to be um, moving into 2021. Uh, so I, I think we spoke a lot about, you know, how, how to improve customer experience there and, and, and some of the growth that e-commerce has seen. Um, but how do you continue that growth? How do you bring even more customers to the site? Uh, and I think that's a good segue into moving on to the next trend that I see being, that I see increasing next year, and that's influencer marketing. Um, I'm not a huge fan of influencer marketing just because I feel like it doesn't work on me as much. Maybe it does, but um, I think it's going to be really big next year, um, especially since there's a lot going on with pixels and a lot going on with um, a lot going on with um, 
um, not being able to target customers on some social channels with paid media as much, uh, being able to track them and retarget to them. I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift there. Uh, and I think focusing on really good organic influencer marketing or uh, micro influencers is going to be really big next year. Um, and there's going to be a lot more focus on influencer marketing in the next coming years. Yeah, influencer marketing is definitely, my mind has changed a lot about, about it because I, I kind of used to feel the same way. Um, influencer marketing generally doesn't, it, it personally doesn't affect like or motivate me and I don't think it would motivate you I, like anyone in and I think that's an important thing to note is that with rare exceptions a lot of these a lot of these tools and tactics that we recommend um generally don't work on us because you know it's uh it's like you know a group of uh you know show magicians they know how the, all their tricks work uh, a lot of things might seem kind of cool and they might be impressed by it but ultimately they know how it works and they can kind of watch it and catch it and it's in the same way with like e-commerce or or the digital world um we de we deploy these things so uh that's why you know it doesn't surprise me that it doesn't work on you or it doesn't work on me but here's why i think influencer marketing is really salient is i uh, it's a great motivator when I uh, for people who are skeptical for like paid or not paid, but uh, for like product reviews, because something that I noted and it's almost very surprising is that from looking at heat mapping data on a lot of our client sites, less than 20% of people actually do like read uh, reviews. A lot of people, it might just be the way the world's going, but of course people do actually read reviews. I don't want to say that people don't, but a lot of people are watching reviews. And I think that's where influencer marketing happens to come in. And, you know, because you have influencer marketing where it could be someone writing a blog review about something, which is fine. But where influencer marketing is probably the most powerful is when it's in uh, either post like social post or video format, because people, they just want the information to come to them. They don't want to have to actually read it. Though, of course, on the site, if you see that, uh, if you see that something has, uh, you know, ten thousand five star reviews or four star reviews, you're more like that's most they're most likely going to be enough for you. You're probably not going to actually in depth read all those reviews, depending on what the product is, of course. But that's why I think influencer marketing works really well. Is um, it has a little more reputable because it's coming from someone other than the brand that's selling it. Of course, you know, I think they understand that it's like paid, but a lot of these influencers who have a lot of trust with their community, either YouTubers or Instagram influencers or uh, now, especially, and that's going to continue to get big in 2021 is TikTok influencers. Um, there is some trust associated with it. And uh, there is that notion for a lot of people, especially if you're younger, that they'll buy things that they like and also knowing that it also helps the influencer. Um, that's a huge drive of it because if they've been following that influencer's journey since the beginning, they like the idea of helping them out and allowing them to continue making content and growing. So influencer marketing is definitely, it's not old. I mean, it's not new. It's pretty old. Like it's been around for, I, I gotta say like over five years. Longer but it's, than that, man. It's been probably, I feel like, like, Back influencer in marketing is where we're as we're actually in the context we're referring yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like even before it was called influencer marketing, like you had, of course, like celebrity endorsements and things like that. But I think, you know, when you have 
so like celebrities who were really popular in like 2008, 2010 or something like that, or even a little bit before like a Paris Hilton or something. She's like one of the first influencers before you could even, you know, call it influencer marketing, you know, blowing up their social channels and, and putting products out there. This is before e- the e-commerce boom happened, but you know, there was definitely, it's definitely been around for a long time, but we're seeing a lot of not only more like organic and, um, influencer marketing, things that just feel a lot more honest. Two things I think are happening. One, influencers are being a lot, are getting a lot more picky with what they're promoting. And I'm talking about the larger influencers, like, you know, influencers and celebrity status with, you know, millions of followers. They are becoming a lot more picky and not only picky with what they're promoting, but also wanting to be more involved with the brand, whether they're a part owner of it, they're helping to define the brand, they're helping to create the brand and make it more of their own business rather than just being an influencer. And two, like smaller influencers that aren't household names who maybe don't have millions of followers, maybe they're on TikTok or Instagram, and it's brands just engaging with them a little bit more. And in some cases, maybe not even paying them, but just sending product to them or um, it, 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 we're even, I, I've even seen like um, posts going semi-viral or brands utilizing this UGC because someone was a customer and they have a lot of followers or they have a, a decent amount and they're using that content. So I think almost like bringing on some more brand loyalists who could help promote it, promote the product. I think that's going to be really interesting and a lot more honest because they're actually making, you know, to, to your point, like people look at reviews, you know, that these are essentially, you know, people with a, a larger reach who are making reviews about your product. And another thing is that there's starting to, there's more technology around and services that are around influencer marketing that are growing. So Grin, Grin.co is, is a, they've been around for a little while, but they're starting to blow up now as an influencer marketing specifically for e-commerce. And it's a platform where you can manage your influencers, get more influencers, see what the um, budget was, what the spend was, what the uh, revenue was, the impressions, et cetera. So you can manage this a lot more. And some pretty big brands are using it like, um, like MVMT, Trifecta, Rockstar Energy, uh, and a lot of others. So, you know, you're, you're going to see, just like with the explosion of e-commerce, you're going to see more and more technology and and uh, and um, support around influencer marketing. So I, I could see it being even even more than it's been so far. Um, some more growth and new innovation that comes out of not only e-commerce but also influencer marketing. Uh, so I, I, we don't do influencer marketing, but I I, I, I think when it comes to your marketing stack and what you should be focusing on as, as a direct to consumer brand, it needs to be a part of it, especially in the earlier days, earlier days of your brand when you're trying to gain attention. So it doesn't mean it's the only thing you should be doing, uh, but it should be a portion of your um, marketing campaigns. Right. And, you know, like, you know, like with the big, uh, like com error, when we a lot of, we saw a lot of things pop up, we saw an, ex, you know, an explosion of e-commerce merchants. So there's a lot of them out there. I mean, there was already a lot of them, but there's a lot of people gravitating towards Shopify and using that. And actually even noting that a lot of companies 
who e-commerce wasn't a huge focus for them, or it was like a very small portion, they're reinvesting a lot of their dollars into e-commerce. I know, I know Nike is doing that. And uh, Nike's, I consider Nike a really bad example to use when bringing up with e-commerce. The only reason I say that is because they're Nike. So (laughs) either most brands can't actually do what they're doing or, you know, Two, it's it's also Nike. So whatever Nike does, they're going to be successful at it for the most part. But yeah. either way, I mean, there's a lot of brands that we talked to where e-commerce, like, oh, you know, e-commerce which is like a really small portion. We just had it up, no one was using it. And then, you know, it's done a complete 180 on that, which is, you know, pretty fascinating and, and amazing. And what a lot of people are finding is, you know, these websites that have either been around for a long time or just were set up really simply they were on either like Wix or WooCommerce or even something custom sometimes. A lot of those brands are moving to Shopify because as they're focusing more on it, they're realizing, wow, these other platforms, not to like put them down is, but can be like a hassle. And a lot of the, you know, they have to run this business along with like a million other things. And they're really gravitating towards like Shopify because it is just so easy to use. So it's not even just new brands that are showing up. It's a lot of like either existing or older brands where e-commerce was a very small component now blow up and they're like, wow, these other platforms are going to run into too many problems. And with Shopify, a lot of those problems are just non-existent. So it's like a mixture. And that's why Shopify, I mean, we already knew that's, we are a Shopify agency for, you know, uh, uh, you know, if, if if you really if you really want to think about it, oh, not even think about it. I think we're very open that we're, <laughs> like we're an e-commerce agency that specializes in Shopify. Yeah. But it's kind of accelerated that that path too, where when it came down to it, on because you'll see all these others, um, you'll see all these different like various random e-commerce platforms. I, I couldn't begin to personally name a lot. And I'm not talking about the ones like Magento or Squarespace or WooCommerce. I'm talking about, you know how there's a lot of like random, like be like bespoke specialized, like e-commerce platforms where it's like, oh, it's, it's open source. Like you can do anything with it. And a lot of people truthfully don't want that. They just want something that's easy and simple and it's just going to let them run their business without much of a hassle. Well, yeah, I think that's the main thing with a lot of the different, um, cloud-based in, in SaaS e-commerce platforms like Shopify Plus and, and BigCommerce and, and, and some of the other ones is that it allows you to focus more on developing your brand. Um, and you, to bring it back to the point that you mentioned, yes, we're seeing a lot more brands come over to these platforms. Maybe they were on something else or maybe they were on Shopify or they were on Magento or BigCommerce. But I think the most important thing is, is that these brands are paying a lot more attention to their D2C channels. And that is one prediction that we we did mention last year about, I remember specifically talking about how brands are going to take more ownership over their direct-to-consumer channel. Uh, so one, one thing is a lot of brands that were selling on, say, Amazon, they saw some huge growth, but they're realizing that having another channel for selling their products and, and being able to really build their brand is very valuable and profitable. Uh, additionally, a lot of brick and mortar stores that did not or did not have an e-commerce presence or a very small one realized that they need to focus on it a lot more. Uh, so, you know, using something like Shopify Plus is a, a lot easier than building, you know, a really complex bespoke or custom um, e-commerce integration. So I, I do think we're going to continue that trend with brands that are going to launch either new brands outside of their brick and mortar or just bring their stores online. 
Uh, and you know that leads to a lot of new product categories. I think we're going to see more things to support you know, what went on this year when it comes to COVID. And um, I, I don't know what those product categories are going to be, but you know, just one that's developed this year, and I think that's going to continue for a little while, are going to be masks. That's something that blew up and is going to continue to sell. Uh, but I'm sure that there's there's some new product categories that are going to pop up and there's going to be some interesting innovation. Um, so speaking of innovation, I wanted to kind of segue into uh, a technology prediction that I think is going to continue in 2021 and beyond, and that's headless commerce. So all of these new brands are coming online. We have new merchants. We have more volume, more traffic. We have you know different types of influencer marketing campaigns and new product categories, um, you know, there, there needs to be technology to support that. Um, so out of the box, I think platforms like Shopify are great. And especially for brands doing under 10 million, uh, they're going to work for you just fine. You can make use of them for whatever you need to transact online. But as you start to get higher volume, more complex, um, you need to expand your technology stack. I think headless commerce is going to, I wouldn't say explode this year, but I think it's going to continue to get a lot bigger. Um, we're doing a headless build on Shogun front end uh, for a brand. I think we might've just launched it recently. So I'm hesitant to say the name. I'm not sure if it's live yet, but we just did a headless build. And I know um, there's some other headless builds being done on Shogun uh, Nomad products. They make like the chargers for iPhones and things like that. They just launched on um, Shogun front end uh, and some other brands have launched on uh, using, uh, using Nacelle. Uh, and, you know, of course, just, just straight headless builds using like Contentful and Shopify. And uh, so I think that's going to continue and fine tune over the course of time. I'm very interested to see where that goes because it's still very complex and, you know, using Shopify is not complex. Using big commerce is usually not complex, but you add this layer of complexity when you go headless. And um, that's something that, you know, is going to be a challenge. And I think some of these new, the new technology that's coming out helps solve that. Yeah, and if you weren't if you weren't already big before, uh, if like if you weren't already doing like tens of millions of dollars before the pandemic, um, then headless is probably still not anywhere within your radar. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say it's definitely going to increase. I'm I personally, given that I'm not super close with headless, don't know how much it's pushed. Obviously, like I don't think the acceleration of of e-commerce, uh, you know, I don't think the same kind of growth happened with headless, though I'm sure to some extent it definitely yeah, is going to be a newer thing. One thing that I actually don't think will be true in 2021, but potentially could be in 2022, is the, and there's no name for it, and I don't actually know what the names of these tools are, but it's like the Webflow era of, um, you know, yeah, like digital and development. And, mm -hmm. and John, are you familiar with Webflow or, or now actually the new Wix X editor? Well, Wix, I'm not a huge fan of, but... Uh, no, 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 their new X editor. It's, no. uh, it's a Webflow competitor that's actually apparently better than Webflow. Really? I, I've seen a lot of cool stuff coming out with Webflow. I've tried using it personally. I think we've explored it internally. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting things coming out with Webflow um, for more like engaging landing pages and websites with like animations and stuff like that. So it's, it's very interesting, very interesting. I haven't, I haven't played around with it too much, but um, 
I do like, I, I like some of the results and some of the things I've been seeing. Yeah. But I don't think so in 2020, I think, cause one of the most, uh, there's this site that every year they do like a, like design and like web survey and it gets all of like, what was the tools, design tools you use most, which FYI, um, like, uh, last year, um, last year, uh, what is it? Sketch, uh, one a lot of like most used or, or most useful this year figma is really like taking the the place of that which you know we we kind of move which is neat but for well, the most yeah. anticipated the most anticipated tool from last year from last year's survey was uh webflow and that's even continued into this year and i think webflow a lot of people they're online not even just with e-commerce but you know getting up like a portfolio site or just a general service site like you know for example agencies that are much smaller just starting out like one one person agencies and john i'm sure you can remember those those days where i'm sure avex.com wasn't always a uh, netlify contentful build i'm sure it was probably on yeah. wordpress at one point yeah, it was wordpress before um, this uh, but you're going to see a lot of these you know, sites get on Webflow and people are going to get familiar with, um, and actually this is a step back because uh, anyone listening who doesn't know what, what I'm referring to, uh, it essentially allows you to build a website with like actually uh, like on the front end component of it, like anything that you do, you can drag it onto the page and it actually will go onto the web page. And it literally is drag and drop and not just in the same, oh, drag and drop templates, like if you're using something like Squarespace, but you can actually change the HTML from like the editor and that gets reflected on the live thing. And it's basically a code free. It's essentially it's a, it's a code free web builder. That's extremely robust. And I don't, I wouldn't say like makes web developers obsolete because it absolutely doesn't, but it definitely gives more control to marketers or designers. And a lot of people have explored it this year a lot, a lot of more people are going to explore next year. And while I don't think e-commerce yeah. is going to be baked into that component this year, I could see as early as next year that, you know, that exploration starting. Because once you actually have like a, a, a system with products and that have to process payments, that's where things go from being really casual and carefree and friendly. Like, oh, look how great this like drag and drop editor is to, wow, these products have to like work. I have to keep track of inventory. These, you know, the payment processing has to go through. Otherwise, you know, I can't get orders and I'm going to lose sales. So uh, e-commerce kind of turns, e-commerce turns the web space into, it makes it a little bit scary, not, not scary, but uh, there's like a lot more serious considerations yeah. with it, which is why I don't think people are going to explore it with web, something like Webflow at first. But again, as people get familiar with everything, people start to take leaps, um, you know, take steps forward. And similar to Headless, how that's been a huge leap forward for a lot of brands. Uh, potentially, the Webflow route could be like the Headless for for really smaller to mid, uh, you know, D to C brands. Who knows? But I, I think that'll be interesting to yeah. Uh, to see. Yeah, and I think that um, you know it, it, the editors and things like that could also make rapid prototyping for designers a lot easier. It could also you know spark new things to do for designers. The last thing we also want is like you know um, once non-design experience clients or merchants get their hands on like editors and things like that. That's where design inconsistencies happen. And that's where, you know, you, you start to get, you know, bloat and like, 
you know, not staying on brand and things like that because they want to try to do use all of those different drag and drop tools. But I, I do agree that there's definitely space for it. Um, you know, I just want to be also mindful of time. I wanted to move on to discussing a little bit about SMS and email marketing, uh, which is something we've been focusing on a lot this year uh, and kind of relates to some of the things we spoke about, especially with retention, um, bringing in more, S- bringing back those customers who purchased this year. Uh, I really think email marketing is con- going to continue to grow um, as as old as, as long as it's been around and as old as it is, um, it's still not dying out. But, um, you know, a lot of merchants that we're working with are focusing a lot more on email marketing, uh, like Hugo Boss and uh, Wolf and Shepherd. We've been working with a lot and we're also working with a new beauty brand right now uh, to help increase retention and bring uh, people back to the website using things like Clavio. Um, but I do think that SMS is going to be even bigger next year. Um, I'm getting a lot more texts. Uh, we've spoke about SMS in depth, so I don't want to make this a full uh, segment on SMS, but I, I do think it's going to get um, bigger this year and more companies coming out. I think Clavio is doing some cool stuff. Postscript is doing a lot of really cool stuff with it. Uh, and there's a lot of other companies that are coming out, but um, we're going to start to see a lot more SMS marketing and notifications and things like that uh, in the next coming year. Yeah. Email. Uh, it's been around for, like you said, a very, very long time. You should be doing that uh, already, even if you're not SMS. Um, if you weren't doing it before, really, there's no better time than now to get onto it because SMS eventually is going to be similar to email where it's going to get very heavily saturated. People are going to become pickier about who they're signing up for and what kind of messages they're getting. So if you really want to capture those people now and get them to choose you over p- newer people that are coming in, I uh, there's really no reason to to not to not do it unless you don't have the customers that would merit it. But the expectations for like for SMS is so low in that the con like the text has to be relevant and the ask has to be like the offer has to be relevant, but the content in the most part is just a text. Like it's. It's all most. It's mostly strategy and words instead of visuals, which email now yeah. has has become yeah. in order to compete. So, you know, if if you ever regretted not getting into email sooner, back when email was just simple uh, text, uh, you should do the same for SMS because that's not going away. Yeah, and I've got some really good ones, and I've got some bad ones. Um, you know, when when I think it's just a reminder for me to come back to your site, that's a bad one. When it's a valuable piece of information, like a sale for a product I really like, um, if it's a notification and an update, those are really great. So let's see what what merchants do with it this year. As long as it's not abused, and as long as marketers as well do it the right way, I think we, we, there could be some really great results with it. Uh, you know, much higher open rates. But I'm not as interested in the open rates because everyone looks at a text message. Click rates, yeah, yeah I'm it's important. Really into the click rates, and click rates are a lot higher. Like we're talking about three to five times higher, if not more, um, than email. So the click rates are there. So that means people are coming to the site and the conversion rates are there. So, um, you know, we're very bullish on SMS and, you know, we're already supporting a couple merchants with SMS now. Uh, and we're looking forward to doing that um, in the new year. Uh, so yeah, that those are pretty much all of our predictions. I think, I think that, you know, just to kind of recap what we think is going to be 
um, big is retaining new customers and seeing what that growth is like. How do we bring them back to the website? How do we communicate with them? How do we provide a better customer experience? Um, you know, and those things are, you know, using some of the SaaS products in the, in the ecosystem, you know, PostScript, Klaviyo, um, uh, Gorgeous, things like that to, to make the, the, the customer experience a lot better. Uh, influencer marketing, again, seeing that grow within the next year or two. Headless commerce, not going to explode, but I, I still think we're going to see a lot more about it, a lot more players in the e-commerce space. Um, using SMS and email marketing, of course, and uh, some new product categories. So going to be an interesting year. Uh, we had a pretty interesting year this year, but I think there's going to be some 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 growth in, in e-commerce. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes out on the technology side and what new brands pop up. Um, and even more excited to work with some of those brands and launch some of the projects that we have in the works. Uh, so I think it's going to be, we're going to go into 2021 with um, some big expectations. For sure. But with that, I'm, I, I think I speak for you when I say I'm, I'm ready for this year to end. I'm excited to, you know, uh, get, you know, enjoy the holidays, uh, you know, take some time off and then, you know, hit the ground running starting in 2021. But, um, you know, thanks everyone who's, uh, who listened to this episode. If you've been following us for a while, really appreciate you. And, uh, definitely look out for us, uh, in 2021, uh, happy holidays and, and happy new year. Happy holidays. Take care. Thanks everyone. <laughs>